Hi, this is Takeover Tuesday, and I'm your host, Dermot Buffini. And as you know, once a month, I take over The Brian Buffini Show, and I interview people who've been there and done that. People who've achieved superior performance in different areas of their life. Welcome, everybody, to the show. I'm in Dallas, Texas. I'm at the Ziegler headquarters, and I'm here with my good friend, Tom Ziegler. Tom, welcome to the show. Oh, man. Good to be here in Ziegler land. I know. Yeah. It's kind of exciting. Disneyland, Buffini land, Ziegler land. Yeah. I love it. You know, so many people know your dad and, you know, the impact of millions of people in, all over the world. And, but not a lot of people maybe are aware of your impact on the world and, and how it's kind of changed and... You know, you've been the man behind the man for years, and now with the passing of your dad, you're carrying on the legacy of the Ziegler name and the Ziegler content in your own right now, continue to impact so many people from the front of the stage where you spent so many years at the back of the stage supporting your dad. So it's just really fun to see you doing that and stepping out. So I'm impressed and in awe of what you've been doing. Well, I appreciate that. You know, the Zieglers are known for, you guys have been peddlers of hope and motivation for years. And... You and I have gotten to know each other over the years because we're kind of, you know, your dad's impact on my brother, opening his eyes and opening him up to the world of you can be more, you can do more, you can have more. And, you know, you got him started on his journey of personal growth and development and did it in such a fun way and just uh, principles resonated and, and in turn that impacted me and, you know, then it got Brian into the personal growth and development world and specifically in the real estate community and you and I connecting kind of at events and, and we've built a friendship over the years and you know I love hearing your dad and I also love meeting with you because every time I meet with you you have a, a different take on the content that's very similar to your dad but you're also a wealth of knowledge and what I'm hoping today is kind of I want to dive into a little bit of that because as you know the speaking world you meet a lot of folks who are they're great from the stage but they might be struggling themselves on the back end to live it out in their own lives and quite often we teach the thing we need the most. But what I've always sensed with you guys is, and knowing your family, is that you guys are the same on the stage as you are off the stage. And what I want to dive in today a little bit about is how does the content of what you teach, how do you use it when you're faced with the adversity of life? And so what I'd like to do today is kind of dive into the Ziegler household a little bit as we kind of progress from there into the work you're doing today. So what was it like growing up in the Ziegler household? What was it like being a wee Tom growing up in the household? <laughs> Well, first off, there's probably not a more blessed human being on the planet than me. Growing up with mom and dad and, and a family that we knew, and we knew that we knew that mom and dad loved each other, that dad's priority was uh, God first, mom second, and then those two were handled, everything else <laughs> fell in place. One of my friends said, your dad walks his talk, and he's a really good talker. <laughs> So that meant he was a good walker. And I can remember being driven to school by dad when I was in elementary school because he always, when he was there, he was there, 100%. He also traveled a lot. But I never doubted or worried or had any concern for his priorities, what he thought of me and the family, what how he treated mom. It's just the way it was. So when people say, how was it growing up Ziegler? I don't have any comparison other than all the friends 
and people that I've met on the road through the years knowing that what we have is blessed. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a story. One of our certified trainers came through. I went to high school with this guy, and he came to me last year, actually, and he had tears, and he said, I was just listening to one of your dad's recordings, and in the recording, it was the conversation that you and your dad had when you were in high school, Mm. and your dad said to you, Tom, what do you love most about your parents? What do you like best? And Tom, you said that you never had to worry about whether they were going to be married or not. And then your dad said, son, why is that? And you said, well, one of my good friends today is in court trying to pick whether he's going to live with his mom Mm. or his dad. And that was my friend. Mm. So you had the security of not just that presence of knowing you had certitude in them, but also you said your dad was an example. Yeah. It's like, you know, what a man lives in his home, he leaves in his son and in his kids. What sort of kid were you growing up? Oh, wow. Well, I had three older sisters, so I had four moms. (laughs) (laughs) So you can imagine that. And I'm nine and a half years younger than my closest sister. And she moved out when she was right around 18. So, boy, I was almost like I had two childhoods. I had four moms (laughs) up until I was four or five years old. And then I was an only child, basically, from nine years old on. So... Because of that, I got to travel and go to things and and do things with mom and dad that most kids don't. They just took me with them. Go to the events. Yeah, I went to the events. So I grew up at Shackley and Amway and corporate events in the back of the room at seminars. I can remember at 12 years old working a product table at an event. I think it was the Queen Mary 2. Anyway, it's a ship that was turned into a hotel. I think it's Long Beach. Long Beach. Yeah. Yeah, Queen Mary. Yeah. I was 12 years old working the product table, so that was 40 years ago. I'm 52 now. And when we were done, I had $12,000 of cash in my pocket. And I thought, what other 12-year-old in the world has that happen? So, A unique experience. Yeah. So I fit into adult situations very, very early. But I love sports. I played what we call soccer over here all the way and coached it all the way through mm-hmm. high school. I'm not quite the player that you were. I was the slow and steady guy in the back. <laughs> and then I turned to golf in high school and in college. So, And you were pretty good at that. I played with yeah, you. Yeah. Still pretty good. We need to play more. Yeah, let's do it. I'm always up for that. And that was something that you and your dad enjoyed doing too. Was there a lot of opportunity on the golf courses to kind of connect? and? That was our time. Dad and I would play golf quite often. We would go on golf trips together. Many times he would call up and say, hey, let's get in nine holes. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Dad is maybe the greatest salesman who ever walked the face of the (laughs) earth. So when he would sell me the proposition of playing golf with him, his close rate was very high. (laughs) You're a willing buyer. You need a willing buyer to be a great salesman, too. And, you know, there's nothing like a conversation on the golf course because Mm -hmm. you're doing something, but you've got all that time to talk as well. Right. And it's not just all focused on we got to have a talk. It's what comes out of those things. It's right. A, it's a classroom in itself. So let me ask you this. Just as regards your sisters with that age gap between you guys, did they have the same experience as you? Like, were they exposed to the same content at an early age? Was there a difference between kind of like how the girls interacted with your dad and the family? Like, was it a different experience? It was a very different experience. Dad became a believer, a Christian, in 1972. Hmm. 
So my sisters were raised by a really good man who lived his life with character and integrity, but who didn't have a spiritual relationship Mm -hmm. and didn't have a why that was a true why, a true purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, Dad said he didn't have the guidebook, right? He didn't have that. Mm -hmm. And so he always did the best for the family and treated everybody with that, but they didn't have that kind of role model. So I was raised with God's word hand in hand and, you know, going to church. And they went to church on and off, you know, before that. But, you know, Dad was not a big fan of religion at all. Right. He was a big fan of relationship. Mm -hmm. And I got to grow up with a father who had a relationship with his father. Mm -hmm. If you know Dad's story, that's kind of interesting because Dad's earthly father died when he was five. Mm -hmm. And so how does he model a father-son relationship? or a father-daughter relationship, he can't until he claims God is his father. Mm-hmm. So how, what was his early life like? I mean, he wasn't always a success. He wasn't always a motivational speaker. Maybe no. he was always a, you know, I'm sure he was always a charismatic guy. But what was his early life like? And what do you think the lessons that he learned there that contributed not just towards you, but also towards this legacy that exists today? His early life, and it's well documented, so I can give you the 30-second version. He was born in L.A., Lower Alabama, (laughs) and moved to Yazoo City. Uh, His family did when he was, I guess, three or four years old, and then his father died when he was five. So this is the heart of the Great Depression. Mm. His mother had a fifth-grade education. Dad was the 10th of 12 kids, five of them two younger work. So here he was in Yazoo City in one of the poorest states and one of the poorest cities during the heart of the Great Depression, uh, which meant that Dad went to work at six years old selling peanuts on the corner. I got to speak in uh, Papua New Guinea last year, which is out there. And we're driving down the road. We're at a stop sign, and an eight- or nine-year-old boy with peanuts comes to the corner, starts holding up to our car. Hmm. And the thought crossed my mind is that the next Zig Ziglar? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, because when you look at the odds stacked against him, then he didn't do well in school. Dad always said he was in the part of the class that made the top half possible. <laughs> yeah. He goes into the military. He was in the Navy. He never saw combat. He got a little college. Gets out, doesn't do well in college. Gets his first job selling. And for two and a half years, he didn't sell anything. Well, he did. He sold his car. He sold his furniture. <laughs> And then his mentor, the guy that he respected in his organization, came to him in a meeting and said, put his hand on his shoulder, his name was P.C. Merrill, and he said, Zig, in all my life I've never seen such a waste. Mm. But if you believed in yourself and went to work on a regular schedule, you could be a champion. Mm -hmm. And that changed Dad's life. That day he went to figure out what it meant to believe in yourself. And the power of a mentor, the guy challenged him and championed him at the same time. Yep. My gift. So the two and a half years, he'd never been in the top 5,000 salespeople. The next year, he finished number two out of 7,000. Wow. And here's the crazy thing. In any one week or month, he was never in the top 100. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the year, he finished number two. Wow. Did he know any more about the product or how to sell? No, he didn't. The only thing he did different was he learned how to believe in himself and how to have that true confidence and he went to work on a regular schedule. He was knocking on the door 
every day at 9 a.m. because that's what he did. He did direct sales. And so a lot of times in today's world, it's the magic pill, right? It's just change your mindset and everything will be great. Or it's work like crazy and everything will be great. Mm-hmm. It's really both of them. Mm-hmm. What was the process to get there? Because it wasn't, well, obviously it wasn't a blind faith either. Right. So he was influenced very early on by uh, Dale Carnegie, Norman Vincent Peale, some of the founders of our industry. And I love analogies, and I'm not saying that all my analogies are good, but if you have a bicycle wreck and you've got scabs all over your legs, you know, you're all cut up, you don't just put a Band-Aid on it. You go in and you wash it out and you clean it out and you, you put antibiotics on it and you take care of it. We have so much negative, toxic input just in our life. We turn on the TV, we get in the car, we're in line at the grocery store, you know, we're at a conference and you just hear people and they just drip it on you. Sometimes it's people you love doing the best they know how to do. And you don't fix it by a Band-Aid. You basically have to overwhelm it. And so I think, and I tell people, the number one lesson I learned from dad was what you feed your mind determines your appetite. So you change your input And so I think what happened in that early stage is believing in himself, he went out and said, i got to change what I'm putting in. Mm -hmm. And so he started changing his focus from problem-focused to solution-focused. He started changing his responses from reaction, oh, no, this is terrible, what could go wrong, to response, oh, that's a fact, now I have a choice to make. And he would consciously make the right choice. And so he consciously made the right choice to put and read and associate with people who would feed his mind the right things. And then he took that information and then he consciously made the choice to create new habits that would then take him down the road. And then ultimately he goes from selling peanuts on the corner as a kid to becoming a guy who shared stages with presidents and, I mean, three presidents? I think so. Maybe four. Four presidents. He's met everybody who's anybody. 33 books. Millions of people. Yeah. But he also met someone who's really special, who's special to you too, which is your mom. That's right. I know we talk a lot about your dad, but your mom, the redhead, as he used to call her. Tell me about her. Dad called her the redhead from stage. He called her sugar baby at home. (laughs) Her name is Jean. She's special. And one thing that dad always said, and we knew it, is even though in a period of 10 years they moved 12 times, right? This is between him discovering how to be successful and him becoming a believer, right? Because he had all this energy, he had the charisma, he had whatever it is that's that unique, that work ethic, that drive, and so he became the golden child. So he got recruited to all these deals come be a part of this, you'll, you know, you'll make a lot of money. And right. so he would run over there, and they would basically start over and lose everything. But mom never once doubted him. Mm. She never once didn't give him the support that he needed. And that continued throughout the whole time they were married. So dad used to say, you know, he called her the happy hugger. <laughs> if it's moving, she'll stop and hug it. <laughs> if it's not moving, she'll dust it off and sell it. so to this day when we have people come to our headquarters to go through certification mom comes in and loves on everybody she's just got that gift well i know your dad always talked about the home court advantage you know and and i'm just wondering about your mom is i just think in the human in our nature sometimes it's very hard 
if you're a mom with kids and your your husband is doing his best, but you're not feeling supported, how is she still able to stay supportive of him in the absence of probably feeling supported and starting over? What do you think in her character, in her mindset that, you know, what, what sticks out to you about that, about her? She's always had this belief that everything is going to be okay. And eternally, she's been secure her whole life. I mean, she became a believer very early in her life. And so she's had that confidence, right, that foundation. And knowing that Dad loved her the way he did in the hard times and all the years on the road because, he, you know, Dad traveled a lot. Right. But Dad did the little things. Our Uncle Bernie, Bernie Lofchick, if you've ever read See at the Top book, the David Lofchick story, the – Dad's brother, adopted brother, he came in and we did a a little interview with him and he was telling me stories from back in the day. So think late 60s. Hmm. And Uncle Bernie calls me slug and he said, uh, for slugger, <laughs> not like slug, <laughs> slugger. He said, slug, you know, your dad, when he would get on stage, he was the man. And he was a handsome man back then. So Uncle mm-hmm. Bernie's in his 80s, too. And he said, your dad would come off stage, and he'd be surrounded yeah. by people. Yeah. And some of these conferences, it would be like a Mary Kay conference or, you know, primarily women in there. And he said, after about, oh, about three minutes, you could just see your father getting antsy, yep. right, feeling uncomfortable. And he said, after another couple of minutes, he would, in a loud voice, say, oh, look at the time. I've got to go call the redhead. And he said, your dad would walk full speed ahead out into the lobby. Remember the old hotels where you'd have 40 phones in a row? Remember the phone banks mm-hmm. before the cell phones? Mm-hmm. And he said, your dad would get on the phone and call your mom. Mm-hmm. And so that was the connection that they had. Mm-hmm. There was never any doubt mm-hmm. that she was his number one account. Mm-hmm. And he never got carried away. The adulation never took him away from his anchor. Correct. Your mom. And when he... When he became a Christian, one of the prayers that he prayed is he said, he said, God, if you will basically build a hedge of protection around me so I don't have to deal with the temptations of the world, then I will do everything I can to bring as many people to you as possible. And so I think the way God honored that is he gave my dad the wisdom to create a fence. So we all have a choice, right? So we can say, hey, I'm going to maintain my marriage relationship or I'm going to maintain my corporate integrity or I'm going to maintain whatever it is. Well, if we put the fence way out on the periphery, right? then if, if somebody crosses the line, nobody gets hurt, right? right? Yeah. And so the fences that Dad built was like he would never, one of his policies is he would never be alone at lunch or in a meeting in a room or anything with the woman unless there was more than one person in there. Mm-hmm. There just wasn't a need for it. Yeah. He would leave the door open or he'd bring two people in or whatever. And in today's age, people think, oh, that's crazy. That's old-fashioned. And then you hear about General Petraeus. And, right. and so yeah. God did give him a wall of protection, but Dad had ownership in that wall. He had to build it. Which provided, I'm sure, comfort to your mother because we all at some level have some level of insecurity. And it's not glamorous raising a family sometimes. But someone on the outside, whether it's somebody traveling on this, you know, a husband and wife trying to make it where they think, well, your life is more glamorous than mine. And, and that can be the case. You can go me out for a nice steak dinner and I'm cooking macaroni and cheese. 
but that intentionality of going, hey, I'm doing my job for you, and you're doing your job for me, mm-hmm. and together we're doing our job for our family. It sounds like that gave her even more confidence in allowing him to get behind him and what he wanted to do and what he was called to do, and in return he was serving her by going, I'm not forgetting you. I'm yeah. not, not thinking about you. That's beautiful. And then uh, the last oh, five or six years, or maybe really the last five years, mom traveled with dad on almost every event. Mm-hmm. And the previous five years on a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. So when she was able to travel and had the flexibility, they did the road together. And dad was never happier mm-hmm. than when she was next to him. And she'd sit in the front row looking up at him, just a big oh, smile yeah. on her face. Yeah. You know, sometimes we teach the thing we need the most, what we're saying, right? And your dad was the master motivator and encourager of people. Because I think we talked about it yesterday. He's like he had a real sense of people because he understood his own humanness and what he needed. But his life wasn't without adversity. And I know he experienced that when he was five. But I know as a family, you experienced a tremendous loss in 1995 with the loss of your sister. How did you guys as a family, how did that affect you? How did you deal with it? And how does the loss of a child, I can't think of anything harder. And your dad still has to go and provide for his family by being a speaker and a motivator. And that's a punch in the gut. That never goes away, I'm sure. But how did you guys deal with that as a family? Wow, there's, I'll come at that with several different angles. First off, my sister Susie was amazing. And she had dad out to lunch, just the two of them. And this is when she was pretty sick. And she had kids. Yeah, two. Two kids. And she was on schedule to have a heart-lung transplant. What was her condition? She had a lung disease. And she said, Dad, I know how positive you are. I know how strong your faith is. And I also want you to know that God may not choose to heal me. And I don't want your overwhelming optimism to create an issue with my kids to where they ever Mm -hmm. become mad at God Mm. because he's got a perfect plan. We don't know what it is. We'll only understand it in eternity. And so my sister, dad says, Susie taught me how to die. Mm. So when, when he went through that and we went through it as a family, it was, you know, if you live long enough, you've lost somebody you love. I mean, this is something that everybody deals with. And so his grief was unbelievable, as any father's grief would be. And out of that, he started walking and crying and praying, and he took long walks, and he decided to write a book called Confessions of a Grieving Christian, which was his therapy. Mm -hmm. And of all the books that he's ever written, that book, as far as a ratio, has changed more lives Mm -hmm. than any book. Right. It's not the most popular. We have ministries that buy them by the case. We have individuals who change their life, and then anytime somebody they love or somebody who they're friends with loses someone, they'll give them that book, right? And it's, it's not an easy book to read. We'll tell people, hey, here's the book. It may be a year before you're ready to read this mm-hmm. because grief is so personal. Uh, but there were two things that I think really came out of that journey. Number one is grief is personal. My grief for my father was completely different than my sister's griefs for dad because mm-hmm. every relationship is unique. Mm-hmm. So the lesson is you can never tell somebody 
hey, I lost my dad too. I know what you're going through. Mm. But what you can say is, oh, my goodness, I know that's so hard. I'm here, whatever you need. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right? Because everybody's got their own relationship. And then the turning point for dad was, is he was crying. He was really just crying out. And I think God put this on his heart. He said, why would I want her out of God's hand? Mm-hmm. I mean, for selfish reasons, yeah, but really for her, no. And so it reinforced his faith. It didn't take his faith away, or for you even, or any of your family, did it? Because when things like that happen, you wonder, well, if there is a God, where is he? Yeah. And it can go either way. I'm sure he thought it. To deal with something like that, I can't even imagine. And there's a decision point that either sends you backwards and sideways or propels you forward towards. Heaven's either real or it's not. This is either real or it's not. When a baby's in the womb, all it knows is the womb. Mm -hmm. Yet it has hands and it has feet and it has eyes and it has ears. So we can look at that baby and we go, it's meant for more than something than the womb, right? And then we get into the world, and yet our heart wants something more than this world. Mm-hmm. So we know we're meant for more than this world. Mm-hmm. I agree. And we don't want it to end. At the end of the day, all the relationships you have, and someone's going to be sitting at the table going, someday I'm the only one either at the table or you're at the table. Yeah. And you consider that just for a moment. You're like... Well, then this would be a pretty cruel scenario if this is just it. But these are the big questions. When somebody's going through grief, it's a real process to go through. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times the best thing you can do is just to be there and say nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that was there. And the grief, you, it grows better over time. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. You never want it to go away. No. Because if it does, mm-hmm. then what kind of relationship did you have in the begin with? Well, I can see the emotion in you now as you've been talking about it, but you're, it sounds like it brought you together as a family and it and somehow just strengthened and even Susan's strength in the reality of her situation and her certitude, it kind of, it was a gift. Yeah. Did that change things, like, as regards from a mission standpoint, your, your dad speaking? How did it show for you guys as a family? From the standpoint of your inside the comfort of your own family and the protection of the walls of your house, and you're able to grieve that. But the application points of that, you still got to, again, your dad's job is to get back up on the horse and go and encourage others. When you've had the wind knocked out of you yourself, and not only just, it's not just him, it's his wife, it's his kids, it's his grandkids. Did you see a difference of how that showed up, or did it change things? I think the older dad got, the more sense of urgency he had. Mm. <laughs> because he realized he had more people than he could ever reach, and he had less time to do it in. Mm. And when you go through a grief or a challenge or you overcome a struggle or you're in the middle of the pit, right, then your empathy goes up, your Mm -hmm. ability to connect with people in a situation like that, your credibility, Mm -hmm. the suffering of fellow journeymen is, there's not many tighter bonds than that. I mean, and so I think his ability to connect went up and to have compassion. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was always extremely compassionate. That was his greatest strength you know his authenticity on stage being transparent being just who he was Mm -hmm. I really believe that people would hear dad on stage and their heart would leap and they'd say wow there's hope there's encouragement there's a better future for me I wonder if it's real I wonder if it's true and we learned this after he passed away on Facebook we had 13,000 comments too many to read many of them pages long Mm. 
But the common thread was this. I heard Mr. Ziegler speak in 1984, 1992, 2001. I was there with 10,000 of my closest friends. <laughs> I waited in line for two, three, four hours to get his autograph. And then they all said this. But when I spent that minute with him, it was like I was the only one in the room. And so I believe what happened is the hope that they heard from stage, they wanted to confirm in that one-on-one conversation. And Dad just had this ability to look into somebody's eyes and say, what's going on? Mm. How can I help you? Mm. And then they would share just that brief, and the rest of the world was blocked out for that moment in time. And so one of the things that I encourage people is this. Nobody can be Zig Ziglar on stage. But we can all be Zig Ziglar off stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of us have that opportunity. Just yeah. take a moment and look somebody in the eyes. And you guys are doing it now. I mean, I remember when the last time I met your dad was, I think, 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. Thomas Morton, and uh, he passed away the following year. But, you know, and at that time he, what was it? Was it Alzheimer's he had? Yeah, so he had a brain injury five years before. He fell down the stairs and basically lost his short-term memory. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a, a before and after, right? I used to tell people, yeah, my dad can get on stage and he can speak for 30 hours over three days with a very basic outline and never repeat himself. Mm-hmm. And after the brain injury, he could go 30, 45 seconds Mm-hmm. before he repeated himself. Mm-hmm. What I realized was, initially I felt sad when I saw him. And then I had the big aha moment, which is the stuff that your dad was saying that he could remember was all so powerful and amazing and encouraging. I'm like, well, if I'm going to have a hard time down the road with my mind or repeating myself or forgetting things, I hope that what comes out of my mouth is what came out of his mouth. Now, conversely, you are a very healthy man and you're making a difference, but I also know and see in you that your belief system is deeply rooted in your nervous system, in your DNA. Same with your dad. How does it get there? (laughs) Well, I can only tell you what I observe with dad and what I try to do. So picture this. Dad flies home from Los Angeles. He has an early morning talk. He gets home. He tells mom it was one of the best talks he's given. The promoter said the same thing. They're getting ready for bed that night. He goes out of the bedroom, the light's off, and he turns left instead of right. We don't know why, and he falls down the stairs, and that's his brain injury. They do tests. He's in the hospital. He's got two brain bleeds. His short-term memory is gone. The doctor comes in, and my sister's there. Mom's there. I'm out of town. I'm on my way back. And the doctor looks at my dad, and my dad says, I've got to speak in Houston in a couple of days. When am I getting out of here? Hmm. And the doctor looks at him and says, you're not going to Houston. And the speaking career that you've known is most likely over. You need to be thinking about doing something else. Hmm. Great encouraging words. So dad smiled. This is my sister telling me this. The doctor leaves the room. Dad turns to Julie, who he calls little one. And he says, little one. I've still got something to say, so we got to figure out another way to do it. And so over the next four and a half years, Julie and Dad traveled to over 100 different cities, average size audience, 12 to 15,000. 
and she did an interview with him. And the interview was designed to take him from point to point. And when he did repeat himself, she would remind him, oh, yeah. And I struggled with that because here you have the legend on stage, truly authentic. And then I read the scripture of being poured out wine and realized that dad's priority was never his vessel. He didn't care. What he cared was about putting truth in somebody else's life. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many people reached out to us and said that embracing that struggle, the hope and encouragement, the vulnerability, and the power of the message, even repeating a few times, mm-hmm. changed their life. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, the only reason that Dad turned to my sister Julie and said that was because he had 50 years of input and practice of looking at every tragedy, every circumstance as a chance to make the right choice. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I try to do is I try to constantly put the right stuff into my mind so that when life happens, and guess what? Life is happening. <laughs> it's all of us. Yep. That's the habit. So how do you create that habit when A, not only do you not feel motivated, but my attitude is, I don't want anybody else motivating me either because I'm not having it today. It's my grumpy day. I'm ticked off day. There's nothing good in the world day. What do you do on those days? Well, first off, by virtue of the fact that people are listening to this podcast, I would say that the audience is above average intelligence. Yep. And even average intelligence people understand that a positive attitude will outperform a negative attitude every time. And when you look at the upside versus downside of taking the right approach, there is no justification for the wrong approach. So everybody agrees going into it, hey, it's better to do what you can to avoid, like Dad said, the stinking thinking, harden of the attitudes, check up from the neck up. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you plan in advance for how you're going to handle that day before Mm -hmm. it happens. When we traveled with Dad, this is one of his favorite famous stories, when they would tell him the plane was going to be delayed, that the flight was canceled or whatever, he would say, fantastic. <laughs> and the person on the other side of the counter, the gate agent, would go, what do you mean, fantastic? You're not going to get home tonight. And Dad would say, fantastic. There's only three reasons why that plane's not taking off. The weather's bad, the equipment's broken, or there's something wrong with the flight crew. <laughs> In any one of those three circumstances, I don't want to be up there. I want to be down here. Fantastic. I've got 40,000 square foot office space. I've got coffee machines. I've got everything you could ever want to get things done. So he knew that was a possibility, so he planned for it in advance. So what you do is you build the habits in advance to take care of those bad days. So give me an example of that. Give me an example of a habit, a routine. Like, if you do this right now, I guarantee you your attitude will change in the right direction. There's two things, and this is for people who haven't done it before. The first one is a self-affirmation, self-talk card. Mm -hmm. And we have one at Ziegler that's free. Anybody can get it. And basically, it takes two to three minutes. And what you do is you read it out loud to yourself, and it affirms the qualities that God's already given you. They're already inside of you. Like. So do I write these out myself, or are they already on a card? They're already on a card. You can go to Ziegler.com forward slash self-talk and get it. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And you just put your name in there and you read it. Mm-hmm. I, Dermot, am a man of integrity and hard work and discipline. Mm-hmm. I love people. I'm outgoing. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just read this card. It takes two to three minutes. Is that true, by the way? Uh, absolutely. Is that what I am? Okay, good. Yeah, I'm just writing that down. I'm check. <laughs> Thank you. The other thing that I practice and that I really recommend is what I call the perfect start. Mm-hmm. And that is carving out the first part of the day in a perfect start. So for me, Mm. I do what's called Two Chairs. Mm. And Two Chairs is a book by Bob Bodine, and I have a conversation with God. It takes five minutes, and I ask God three questions. God, do you know the circumstance? Well, yes, I do. He's God, right? God, are you big enough to handle it? Well, of course he is. He's God. Number three, what's the plan? And then I listen. Then after that, I do my devotional, I do reading, I do positive input, I do my goal setting and planning, I prepare my day, I do mental modeling, which is when I have meanings or things that I know are important, I'll spend about 60 seconds in my head envisioning how it's going to go. And then on the really, really good days when I'm smart and I'm thinking it all the way through, I say this, okay, God, I've planned the day to the best of the abilities that you've given me. Nudge me and grab my attention when I need to abandon these plans and pay attention to what you want me to do. Mm-hmm. All right, here's a question for you. What if someone doesn't believe in God? What do they do? Ah, that's a good question. So let's say you don't believe in God. Well, let's talk about Warren Buffett. Would you, if there was a one in a hundred chance that Warren Buffett would have breakfast with you, would you go just on that one in a hundred totally. chance? Yeah. So if you're out there and you're like, I'm not sure, first I challenge people, hey, set up your two chairs. Just say, hey, God, if you're there, let me know. Mm -hmm. So that's the first one. The second one is the habit process that I just laid out, self-affirmation and the whole morning routine. Even if you don't start with two chairs, that's okay. If you start with the right input. Here's the reality. There's a quote, and I don't know who said it. Your input determines your outlook, your outlook determines your output, and your output determines your outcome. If we get the right input first thing in the morning, then that's going to direct our outcome more than anything else we can do. So that could be for somebody else, just whatever lines with their values and they believe in and they go, that encourages me or that's something that I trust in and I I believe in or I consider a reliable source. That's good enough to start. Yep. And the affirmation part is, and again, it constantly shows up on these podcasts. The power of affirmation, where I've heard over and over again, just my summary of it is, you learn to talk to yourself rather than listen to yourself. And I think that's what the affirmation allows you to do, because you're not going to affirm something that you don't believe about yourself, unless you've got a high level of denial. There are people who love you and know you too. So even if it's not a list, and you want to make it more authentic, is it a good idea to go to those people and just say, hey Tom, could you tell me, I really need to know what you see is a good quality or what do you value in my friendship? Is that something that is beneficial too, just to kind of take it to the next level for those people who want to get another form of input because I get a perspective on myself that I may not have? Same as your dad's mentor said, you're a waste, but... Yeah, yeah, I think absolutely it is. We just got to make sure they're on our team, they're on our side, they want the best for us. There's a book, I don't remember the author, I think it's How Full Is Your Bucket. They did this study on couples, and so they had a list of qualities... And they had each couple rate themselves on it. And then they had each couple rate their spouse on those same qualities. And then they compared the list. 
they compared what the man said his qualities were on a scale of one to five or one to ten or whatever, and then they looked at what his spouse said they were. The best marriages, both spouses rated each other higher than mm-hmm. what the spouse rated themselves. Yeah. And isn't that interesting? Because when we set a high standard and we have aspiration to achieve something, by golly, we just surprise people and do it. You can see it in athletics. A coach comes in and says, you're champions. Mm -hmm. This is how we perform. This is how we act. And a group of misfits, before you know it, are performing at a level none of them knew possible. So true. We see them coaching all the time. When people don't believe in themselves, we believe in them. That's right. But the authenticity of that, because you're not going to believe in something that you don't foundationally buy into right we have a quote david wright on our team came up with this quote he said coaching is a transference of confidence and so for the nerds out there like me go go look up the original greek and what confidence means and you'll understand what that really means see a coach knows that you can do more than you think you can Mm -hmm. and you've got to borrow some of that to get to that next point right and then you see it yourself so what does confidence mean in the greek I do know what it means, but I would uh, butcher the Greek. Gotcha. Uh, it's but it's, I believe it has to do with what God has already put in you. Yeah. Right? Well, it's like encouragement. Encourage means you give someone else courage. Right. I'm going to give you courage. That's what encouragement means. Yeah. Mm. It's extremely powerful to get that feedback mm-hmm. from somebody else. At Ziegler, we've done coaching on and off for years and years. And I will tell you, for those of you who are in coaching, Bar none. There is no better dollar-for-dollar dollar use mm-hmm. of an investment in yourself than coaching. A sure. coach that believes in you mm-hmm. and helps you see what you can't see but it's already there. Yep. The diamond's in the rough. Yep. Okay. Two more things for you. One is you're carrying on the legacy now. You were the back-of-the-stage guy, and now you're thrown to the front of the stage. You know, you've made this great transition where you're Tom Ziegler. You're not Zig Ziglar, but you're a pretty good Tom Ziglar. What's the future for Ziglar? What's your hope? You're now the head evangelist. You're the out-front guy. You're inspiring the audiences. You're getting them to take action. You're encouraging them. What's the future for Ziglar? Ah, wow, that's a big question. Um, We have a statement at Ziglar, so I'll just unpack this for you. At Ziglar, we help busy people achieve true success through a one-step action plan. Hmm. So we help. How do we help? We encourage, we educate, we empower, and we equip. Mm -hmm. Busy people. Oh, my gosh, the world is full of busy people. Mm -hmm. And better definitions behind it are trapped, overwhelmed, discouraged, not sure what the next step is, yet they know there's something more. True success, boy, true success is about balanced success. It's the wheel of life. I mean, we teach the same thing. Yeah. There's a radio ad in Dallas that says, uh, this is an attorney, right? And he says he works with a lot of men who, you know, they have all the money now, but they've lost their health and relationships, and all the money won't buy those back, right? So true success has significance. It means we help someone else be, do, or have more, and true success is legacy. Hmm. Legacy is when we transfer the habits of wisdom and integrity and character to those we love, our family and beyond. A one-step action plan, this is what I love about what we do because it's really, really simple. (laughs) It's just not easy. The one-step action plan is you replace a bad habit with a good habit. Mm, That's good. Hey, if your mindset's not right, well, are you reading the daily affirmation card? If you're not, that's a bad habit. Mm -hmm. 
a good habit would be invest two minutes a day in yourself and do that. Mm-hmm. And you can do that on every spoke of the wheel. Mm-hmm. Every area and, of your life. There. That's what everything hangs on. But we equip others to go out and teach our programs. Mm-hmm. We have a family program for families who are just overwhelmed. One of the words we use for families today is they're messy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and busy, as you say. Busy and messy. Messy and busy. Yep. And so how do you get above the noise and how do you create a family environment with your kids and your spouse and we got blended families and we got families in all situations how do you just start right where you are and start improving that mm-hmm. so we created a program called Ziegler Family we help small business owners who are kind of out there on an island right they don't have the benefit of being part of a huge organization or part of a big brand you know they're just a mom and pop out there going mm-hmm. And so they can't go to similar businesses in their area because that's competition, right? Right. So we help them systemize. And here's the interesting thing is you can have the best systemized business in the world, but if you as the owner aren't right, you're going to take it down. That's right. And so we believe in that one too. So those are, you know, of course we got all the personal development. So what's the future? Well, there is no such thing as one and done. Mm -hmm. If it was, Dad would have put the whole industry out of business. I'm kind of like that now. I mean, I wake up every day and I go, golly, there's more and more people who need hope and encouragement. There's less time to get to them. And I know you want to do it. And that's why I love you and your family. It's so refreshing. I know you walk the talk. And I know that, I know the future, Ziegler, is that you're going to be doing what you've always been doing, which is encouraging people to believe in themselves and to become who they're designed to be. Yeah. And Dad always said this. He said, never give a promise without a plan. So if we say, you know, you can have an unbelievable business, Mm -hmm. here's why, right? Mm -hmm. And so we build up the hope. Mm -hmm. Now you need a plan. Mm -hmm. Well, I know you're helping getting people going. I know that you want to help folks thrive. I'm really curious about this seven-day family challenge. How can I or anybody listening here find out more about that and what is it? Right. So we created a program for families, and we have a seven-day family challenge. And Brian was part of the first challenge. And we have a bunch of other experts. We've had Andy Andrews and Dave Ramsey and a whole bunch. And so it's a challenge. You get one email a day for seven days, three to five minute video. And we encourage a family to go through it together and do whatever that activity is for that day. Mm -hmm. So seven days, you can do that. And then we have the Thrive Community, which is families who are taking that one-step action plan. Mm -hmm families who are saying, you know what, as good as our family is or as messy as our family is, would it be okay if we were a little bit better? Mm -hmm. If next month was better than last month and next year was better than last year? I mean, who doesn't want that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so we've created a community around that. I think people have heard today on this podcast that this wasn't just talked about from stage. This was lived inside of the Ziegler family. So I'm excited to check it out. Hopefully there's a lot of folks here who will do the same. You've been great with your time. I just want to let you know I really appreciate you taking the time. I think your dad will be looking down at you right now, just so proud of you, of the man that you are, but also continuing on the legacy. And it's a privilege to know you, and I wish you the very best. And again, thanks a million for being on the show today. Thank you, brother. You're a good man. All right. Thank you, Tom. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. 
don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. We're also on Android, so download your favorite app from Google Play and tune in for free. We love hearing the feedback and the reviews help us to let us know the kind of stuff that you're enjoying listening to. You know, our goal is to positively influence as many folks as we can, so please share it with others. And as I finish today, I'd like to leave you with an Irish blessing our grandfather always said. May the rose rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. <laughs>